Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native people across the state are seeking ways to protect their way of life, which includes the preservation of their languages and cultures. Culture is an important part of conversations taking place by leaders, community members, and those involved in the arts. From teaching traditions to young people and ensuring culture is respected in government policy, and at the same time working to respect the land, water, and animals, which are all key to Alaska Native way of life. Join us for a conversation about communities and culture right after the news. From the 2018 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Trip Kraus. It's been a tough week for Alaska's governor. Bill Walker made an announcement Friday that has heavy implications on the state's gubernatorial race. Effective today, I am suspending my campaign for the re-election as governor. The incumbent was heavily embroiled in a three-way race with Mark Begich and Mike Dunleavy, when former Lieutenant Governor Byron Mallott resigned earlier this week. Andrew Kitcheman covers state government and politics for KTO and Alaska Public Media. I talked to him briefly, and he says it likely was clear to Walker's campaign that he could not win a three-way race, but it was unclear how Walker stepping out of the race could influence voters. I, I can tell you that I, I spoke with the pollster Ivan Moore, who's been the, the most public pollster in this election, he, he said before Walker dropped out, so this was uh, uh, earlier in the week, that he said that about a third of Walker's supporters, based on his polling, could be expected to actually move to Dunleavy. But he also said that, that how Walker handles – if Walker were to drop out the, of the race, how Walker handles that and, and, and the degree to which he sort of throws his support to baggage, which we pretty much saw today – that could mean uh, that a larger share of Walker supporters move to baggage. So it's 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 unclear how this is going to affect um, both Dunleavy and baggage as far as the election. Kitcheman says Alaska Native voters could have an impact on the now two-way race. There's going to be a real challenge to make it close in the polls, which is that some portion of the voters are going to be voting for Walker, whether that's because they don't – they are not following the news and – they just vote for him because they see his name on the ballot or um, they don't like baggage and they don't like Dunleavy, but they do like Walker. So even if they know um, it won't make a difference, some people may vote for him. That that could be a factor that will make it more difficult for this race to be close. But if this race is close, finishing my thought, I think Alaska Natives could be the decisive voters. With only 18 days until Election Day, many absentee ballots have already been mailed. And despite Valerie Davidson having been sworn in as lieutenant governor, it is too late to remove Malat's name from the ballots. Several delegates from the Alaska Federation of Natives took the stage to give their thanks and support to Walker. Delegate after delegate came to the microphone. Some even gave him pieces of their regalia as a token of their thanks. Governor, there's a lot of significance to this. This has been passed on to me from chief. We do that in the interior. And I want to give you this. 
I want to give you this, the blessings. I want you, I want to give this to you in appreciation of all the work you've done. And I also want to acknowledge that you've been a friend to all of us here. So with that, I'd like to give you this necklace. The entire day seemed politically charged. Representatives from Get Out the Native Vote urged Alaska Native voters to go to the polls on election day. Toyon Limited board member Georgiana Lincoln urged everyone to get to the polls. We decide Alaska's future. Anabasi. And it's likely the Native Vote could decide now two key races in Alaska, U.S. Representative and the state's governor. Candidate forums for each were held on the second day of the convention. You're listening to the King Egg Mute, dancers and singers. In Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Trip J. Krause. The AFN newscast produced by Kowanik Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One. Funding support from Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Conoco Phillips, the Siri Foundation, Exxon Mobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Donlin Gold, Maneluk Association, Chalista Corporation, and the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services. This is a production of KNBA, Kowanik Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service. This is Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. We are at the Denina Center in Anchorage, and today I have some guests with me who are going to be talking about living and loving Alaska Native culture. I have Drew Michael. Thanks for being here. Please introduce yourself. Hello. My name is Drew Michael. Uh, I was born in Bethel. I live here in Anchorage. I'm an artist, and I do um, mask making and some stone carving and a little bit of glass and metal. And uh, I also have uh, Angela Gonzalez. Please introduce yourself. Zanazun, good morning. I'm Angela Hladadathna Gonzalez from Huslia, Alaska. I'm Khan Athabaskan, and I um, am a communicator, I guess, by day um, and a bead worker by night. And also Sven Hawkinson. Thanks for being here. Yeah, Chimai. Um, my name is Sven Hawkinson. I'm, uh, I'm from originally from Kodiak Island, Old Harbor, Alaska. I'm a uh, I guess I want to say a professor at University of Washington and curator at the Burt Museum, a carver and photographer. And uh, Sven, what does living and loving Alaska Native culture mean to you? Well, let's start with a deep question. <laughs> 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 living and loving Alaska Native culture, it's, it's life. It's about celebrating, for me, it's about celebrating who we are um, as, individual or as individuals and then our unique cultures. And what else? I mean, where, where do you want to stop with, with that question? Because it, it's about knowing who you are, where you're from, and where you're, where you're going, and what you do in life. And this week has been the Elders and Youth Conference and also yeah. the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. And in these two annual conferences, language and culture and identity mm-hmm. are woven through everything that takes place. It is who we are, and, and that's the beauty of um, when you come to AFN or Youth and Elders, you see that mix because we live it. 
it's it's living who we are and where we are from and angela what about for you i think it's um passing on traditions um over the years i've taught many beating classes and it's just amazing how that little bit of gift of learning how to do something um can be so healing and and can really connect you to culture um, there's some people like we were just talking about, um, someone who's 40 years old who just started weaving, but, um, in classes there are, um, elder women who sometimes come and attend and, uh, like what this one lady was talking about being scolded for not beating something right when she was a teenager. So she just like let it go. But she, um, that little bit of beating helped her to get over that. And so, um, she's doing that now. So just um, practicing. I think practicing the culture is important, too. And that, and that's a big part of it, too, is when you're at the Elders and Youth Conference and encouraging the young people um, to practice and practice, even if they make mistakes, is that that's part of the learning process as well. Drew, what are your thoughts on that? Well, thinking about my story and being disconnected to culture and being adopted out of culture uh, and uh, the place where my people are from the land where people are my people are from um being totally disconnected from the family line not having an identity feeling like i had an identity um i think for me when i started to learn about place and the people who live on that in that place and how we connect to that place um that taught me a lot about my own identity and i was able to learn um I was expanded who I was when I went to the back to the place where I was from and that that changed my art and and what I was doing and I used art to survive and I know that um we we say things like we're doing art you know um but that wasn't really what people were saying before because they it be, was just part of their life uh it was it happened they were doing art as they were doing everything else they wanted to have beauty in their lives and they wanted to tell stories and they wanted to um, share information in what they were creating and using in everyday life um, and so yeah it's it's part of who we are uh, not only in function but also uh, to tell stories and it's part of our identity and uh, Sven, you're shaking your head over there. Did you want to add to what Drew was saying? No, I agree. And it's it's an important part of us, um, of our community, reconnecting to, to who we are because it was stripped away from us um, on a systematic mm-hmm. and very thorough way from our language to our practicing of um, beading, weaving, carving. Um, these things were suppressed. And now the beauty behind uh, what Drew was talking about is this is for our our way for our young, the next generation, but also us as elders and um, the older generation, we can use that as a way to reconnect as well and bring us together. And uh, Angela, where did you find your passion for beating and sharing it with other people? Um, well, my mom um, taught me how to um, do some beadwork. She still has some, some of my uh, pieces from when I was six years old. 
um, uh, little barrettes and stuff like that. Um, and then we also, um, they used to have Johnson O'Malley funding for Indian education um, at the Huslia School. And so I learned how to um, bead in those classes and, and um, also sew like boots and stuff like that. Um, so it's basically from my mom and aunt and just watching, watching people. And there are a lot of um, uh, demonstrations and classes that took place with the Elders and Youth Conference this week. And I got a chance to go to a few of them, pop in and out. And just it's so it's so great to see, you know, young people and elders working together and just enjoying learning from each other. He was able to bring this craft down to people, Native people there, a lot of them Alaska Native, who cleaned the animal of a seal gut, seal and cleaned the guts out, cleaned the intestines out, blew it up, dried it, and now today we can sew. However, last year what was brought up at the Elder and Youth Conference with some of us is that uh, today we have Alaska Native grandchildren and great-grandchildren who don't meet the blood quantum to work with seal intestines because of the federal code of regulations that say we have to have one fourth quarter native blood in us to work with like sea otters, seals, uh, seal, seal intestines. So rather than using the seal intestine, I got a hold of um, a sausage making company in New York. And guess what? This is made out of animal guts. So we're still sewing with intestines, okay? And we have to treat it like that. We have in our kits, we have in our kits um, two pieces of the intestine. You're going to have two panels. Now the trick to this is folding your, uh, your seal, folding your intestine, okay, these panels, to make it a waterproof fold. That's the trick to it. The sewing part is easy. Got it. So what you want to do is fold it twice, like you're going to hem pants that are too long. So you're going to fold it once, and then you're going to fold it a second time. And you're going to do that to both panels, okay? You have to get that first fold and locked. You have to lock it with that both of those panels with that first fold. Then you're going to fold it over. Okay, so now I've got both those panels, right? And when you're sewing, you're not going to be sewing. When you end up sewing it together, one of these panels is going to be flipped up. So that if you had your gut raincoat, the real thing in front of you that you're working on, your sewing is on the inside, not on the outside. And that was an Lutic Waterproof Stitching class by June Pardue. And she did mention you in the beginning of the class, Sven, and how mm-hmm. um, you helped uh, with this uh, sewing technique. And um, uh, your your family, your mother, was mm-hmm. also in yeah. that class. And it was just uh, something that struck me was was the innovati- innovation of um, they brought up, you know, there's 
Native people across the country are regulated very mm -hmm. hard. And um, the federal, you know, the, the protection acts and mm -hmm. stuff. So what she had done is they were using the sausage. She got that, so that uh, mm -hmm. it was still gut, but she got it from a sausage company. Yeah. I thought that was just great innovation in, yeah. in the sense. But uh, go ahead, Sven, when you were hearing June speak. Oh, it was, it was wonderful to hear June because it's, um, it's, so, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Something you've seen in museums. I've researched museums for decades now. Um, seeing these beautiful gut skin kamlaikas and jackets and hats and to see her not only teaching it but also getting it so that even my mom is relearning these stitches that her grandmother taught her at one time. My, my grandmother, her mother. Um, the beautiful thing with that is also I started experimenting with that when I was 17. That's you know, almost 40 years ago. <laughs> um, and to see it come back into this renaissance... Uh, the, and the other fun thing, too, is if you're a hunter or you process meat, you go to the store, you can get collagen, which is a pig's gut. And that's what I use in my classes is taking the pig's gut and then teaching the students how to process it. And the other thing is I have friends who donate um, bear, bear intestine. And then in my classes, we teach the students how to process that. So they have to scrape it and cl well clean it. And it's a very smelly business. Um, clean the process. They they clean it, and then they inflate it, and then we split it, um, and we do that in a class. So it's it's amazing, wonderful. And, and it was really neat to see the finished products and see the students really engaged and learning. And Angela, that's part of you know these workshops is making sure that the students are really engaged. Yeah. So. Um, in addition to like teaching classes and stuff, I also share videos. Um, I was just thinking about Drew's story about being adopted out and um, those videos reach. I mean, they just, ha I share them on my blog, the Athabascan Woman blog, um, Facebook page. And so it's people reach out to me and they just thank me um, for, you know, doing simple things like learning how to tie a knot, you know. I mean, we totally take that for granted, um, tying knots and doing some of those basic and, and also sharing tips and tricks. Um, so it's just a great way to connect with people who are off in the distance. And I think that people are really hungry for culture. Um, you know, they're really, it, it's, I mean, I, I just feel the love from, from when I said that. So um, when people are experiencing culture and learning it, um, it's just amazing how empowering that is. And uh, Drew, how did you embrace the learning process when you were getting into your art? Well, I remember starting out feeling totally scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, am I doing this wrong? Um, am I going to do something that will offend somebody? Um, what am I saying in this? You know, <laughs> what is, uh, when I started to go a little bit further, you know, what is, what is the style that I, how can I share who I am in this? And I realized um, at a certain point, I, I didn't want to be creating things that other people had created. I wanted to create something that connected to who I am. And I think that's, for me, a uh, really powerful place to be in when you're creating something um, and and to look at this in another way I learned about who 
I, I'm expanding all the time who I am through my art. And I've actually been able to be reconnected to my birth family from all over the state because of my art. And it's like looking through the eyes of the mask has taught me who I am. And it's, it's a transformation. But um, I think for if anybody's trying something new, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but that's part of the process of learning. And um, if you're open to the opportunity and, and to support from other people, um, in most cases, people will support you in your process. So. And part of the um, learning process as well is there's a number of language classes and people are learning language and they're practicing. Uh, let's hear a little bit of that. And that was a Haida language uh, class, and that was being taught by Damon Bell. Holter, who is also a professional basketball player. So it was neat seeing some of the um, younger generations come in and they recognized him right away and they're like, oh, that class, I want to go to that class <laughs> because of the teacher. But there's also a lot of, you know, well-known Alaska Native people who are in a variety of different professions and it's always exciting to see the celebrities <laughs> around um, Elders and Youth Conference and uh, AFN. Uh, what, what do you think about the learning? language learning spin I think it's well it's a beautiful thing because it helps all of us reconnect to where we're from and it also connects that intangible part of our knowledge base our knowledge our ways of knowing uh, from our communities and it also is shows the diversity and uniqueness of Alaska, you know, from all the different languages that go across our state to even within a region, the, the dialects and then sub-dialects um, within each area. To me, that's amazing. And then to hear the not only uh, a celebrities practicing and speaking, but to see them inspiring the next generation because it's been so suppressed by the outside culture. And to have it here on a on stage, and we walk around, you hear people, and you hear the different languages now being spoken. When I started coming to AFN 30 years ago, it was all English, English, English. Nothing like that would ever show up on stage. Mm. Um, it wouldn't be brought up. But now it is practice to introduce yourself, to say hello, but now it's going to another level of, hey, how do we have conversations? Uh, and the next generation is doing that. And Angela, for you, um, and being also a parent and sharing your beating and culture and language, what, how do you do that with your children? Well, um, 
Over the years, I've um, been fortunate to attend uh, Koyukon or Danaka um, classes uh, at the Alaska Native Heritage Center, um, and then sometimes Doyon Foundation. They support um, the the language classes, and so um, they've tagged along with me. Um, and then when they were younger uh, and more willing, um, they did videos with me. So I have a uh, lots of um, I guess uh, many videos of them sharing different words. Um, and then also just bringing it up in conversations, like um, I'll share uh, some words that they, they'll ask about what, what my mom might have just said. And then so I just um, like help them understand. And then they also know all the basic, you know, um, like I just heard this song um, last night by the um, dancers from Rampart and there was like ka you know um, and that's like get away and I think Dolly Dawes sit down um, and so it was just so funny because those are words that I heard and it was a song about mischief children so <laughs> it was super cute and I think that's definitely across all native communities the same thing growing up is we know all the commands. <laughs> Stand up, be <laughs> quiet, sit down, come here, go there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and uh, Drew, for you, how do you try to incorporate language into what you do? Well, that's a good question. Um, I haven't been involved with language as much, um, but I know that uh, as I travel around and listen to different languages, I have realized that language is connected to place. Mm-hmm. And also a way of the way that we live and how we see the world is through language a lot of the time. Even when I'm thinking in my head, it's in language. Uh, sometimes it's images, but a lot of times it's language. And um, language helps define how we see the world and uh, talk about the world. And um, I haven't really been active in learning my language so that is something that I do have as a goal um, so hold and me to it okay oh, well you said it next on the radio. year <laughs> <laughs> thank you you know what it reminded me of though is also this um, indigenous movement across the United States you could see it here in Alaska for like reclaiming language and culture look at the building we're in in Anchorage the name of it signs and that's happening all across the united states yeah. uh spen yeah no that, and it's it's um it, yes it is happening across the u.s and in fact i get to see it on a first-hand basis i actually have the privilege to serve as the chair for the native arts and cultures foundation and a lot of the pro things that we do is helping communities celebrate not only their local art but their language as well and getting involved with um supporting those programs so that they're highlighted and celebrated on a daily basis, not just, you know, to a specific time, but it's part of everyday life. Yeah, it really is great to see um, a street name, a school name, a building name, signs. Or, or the women and men who are taking on their own traditional person, traditional names. Yes. Ayun mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. an example. Sada mm -hmm. Dasna. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Igasuk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Antonia. (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, we're talking today about language and culture, and um, we are here at the Denina Center. And uh, I have three guests joining me today. This is Alaska's Native Voice. We're going to take a short break, and then we are going to continue this conversation. We will be right back. is Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. We're at the Denina Convention Center in Anchorage, Alaska at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. And today we're talking about living and loving Alaska Native cultures. And I have three guests joining me today. I want to welcome them back. uh, Drew Michael, Angela Gonzalez, and Sven Hawkinson. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. And so we were talking a little bit about food earlier. Um... We have food is definitely part of all native cultures, Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of what you see is discussions also about land and respect and taking care of the resources out there, and especially here in Alaska, and enjoying all of the great food that we see at all the different events, and also part of health and wellness as well is just how Um, Going back to traditional foods is really also part of a healing process for bodies, minds, spirits. So um, I did get to go to um, a class at the Elders and Youth Conference where they were showing the students how to fillet a fish with both a knife and then also a traditional knife. Fillet a fish, you end up with a, a backbone left over. And, you know, any meat that you weren't able to, like, if you weren't able to get close enough to the, the backbone with your cut, there's some meat left over. So one thing that I like to do sometimes, if I'm baking fish, I really like to bake salmon, um, you can cut this. There's always kind of a, this fat section right on the top of the back that doesn't have many bones, and it's almost as rich as the belly. So you can, like, you can cut that strip off and just lay it next to your filet when you bake your filet. Um, and then another thing that um, I grew up eating with my grandparents uh, was dried, dried backbone. They would just take it and they wouldn't salt it or brine it or anything. And they would just hang it with hanging twine, you know, like um, from the tail and just let it get good and dry. And then when they were ready to eat it, they would, um, you know, br- cut it into sections and boil it for a little while and then um, dip it in seal oil. So for any of you who have access to seal oil, that's a really, really nice way to eat something that a lot of people would just throw away. And and it's a good, healthy food. Um, 
the the name that my grandparents called it was Lamchuk. I don't know if that's a familiar word to any of you, but um, they you know they were from Naknik, that, so that was the dialect of Yupik that they spoke. And that was a salmon filleting in preparation um, session at the Elders and Youth Conference, and it was really great to see the students and the elders getting involved and I mean you take fish anywhere you get a crowd so it was really neat and they were also um, showing them how to pickle it so they had uh, they had can jars and they were showing um, you know people were cutting onions and um, I think it was really neat to see how proud people were that they cut the fish themselves and a lot of this, the, the people I talked to, both elders and, and youth, um, had never done that before. And so they were really excited to let the, you know, I'm not, I don't remember how long the pickling takes, but they were really excited to try it once it was, you know, once it was made. Uh, Angela, you also on your blog talk about food. What is your favorite recipe that you've shared? Um, probably one of the most popular ones is the moose soup in the city. Um, when I was off in college um, years ago, um, I really missed moose meat soup. Um, and then my cousin Doreen came down from Haskell. That's when I was going to school in Oklahoma. And um, she was like, you could just use beef, you know. <laughs> so I um, was able to cook it. It wasn't the same, obviously, but um, it was just the recipe and it was familiar, you know, just the similar process. of. So anyway, I shared that. Um, I also share uh, Salmon in the City recipe because um, I think that lots of people in the city... Like, like my girls, um, they may not always get the opportunity to learn how to do those simple things like how to gut the fish and cut it and smoke it. Um, and so there's many kids like that who don't get that opportunity. They, they may not have the resources available to um, go dip netting or, or fishing or anything like that. So... And to spend, there's a lot of food, you know, a lot of tribes call it food sovereignty movements. Yeah. And um, re- reclaiming that as well, reclaiming the food sources, mm-hmm. food itself. Um, go ahead. So um, the, the, the important thing that we need to really start thinking about is um, protecting the areas where our food comes from. Not just for our own, you know, building of houses and all that. We also have to protect for the animals. Because if we don't sustain them, they don't sustain us. And the practice of systematically and very thoughtfully uh, finding ways so that we're working with everybody, whether you're native or not, protecting the, protecting the land where this, this food comes from, whether it's plants or animals or fish. And these are very, very important things to raise an awareness of to, a, to another level. Because if, if it's not there, we can't have it. We're not going to be sustainable. And the other thing is, I was showing, sharing pictures, I love to also teach the next generation about caring for the food that gives themselves to us. And that's something that's really ingrained in how we not only harvest or have the animals give themselves to us, but what we do with it afterwards. For example, I was sharing pictures with my daughter um, processing a deer but getting younger women to also help process it and them learning that like in her first deer she gave everything away but she wrote down all the names of all the elder women 
who helped her to where she was at. And it was a list of about 10 women, and I didn't know this, and she was only eight years old when she did this. And so we went from house to house delivering the meat and bringing those traditional practices of respect back. And that's a part of uh, a lot is the hunt fish share. You hear that a lot is to make sure that you're doing that. And, and also leaving up to when you're looking at policy and individual, um, including people in this conversation. And Drew, you're part of Native uh, People's Action. You yes. talked to the students about Native Vote. And to really bring it home, you're saying, you know, the speakers up there were saying, well, do you like other people making decisions for you? Do you like, you know, people telling you what to do? Yeah, so I think it's interesting thinking about the actual climate we're in right now and the bigger picture in this. We're, we're coming to a point where we're wanting to develop and, and do some resource extraction, um, supporting industry. There's a lot of, like, conversation about that but then also this conversation about protecting ways of life. And I think it's, it's, it's a philosophical conversation right now. What are we wanting to invest in? Are we wanting to invest in supporting industry that will destroy our ways of life? Or do we want to support our ways of life and also protect our, our lands, our people, and our, well, at this point, women and... Um, yeah, so what, what are we going to do? What, are, what, is our, what is our next step on the bigger picture? Because we can't just fix this moment in time. We have to think about the larger picture. And what, what we do right now will impact the future. And just the, the whole, uh, what, do you, what do you call this? The, the slogan for AFN right now is innovation in the in the past, present, and future, what is the innovation that we're going to step into you know, and live in right now? So are we going to support industry and ways of life? I, I just want people to think about that. And yeah, there's a lot of crossover in that, but I think, I think if we take a moment and think about it and have some conversations, it will be hard. I think we can, we can learn how to take the next step forward. And it's definitely um, protecting a subsistence, a way of life, food sources, land, water, our conversations, and we'll see, po- we'll see resolutions being passed at AFN. And, and when we look at food and what we eat, we're also talking about the healing aspects a little bit earlier. And our producer, Emily Schwing, she got to speak with Amy Foote, who is a head chef at the Alaska Native Medical Center. And what they're doing there is they're also helping with people, like Angela said a little bit ago when she was out in college, she was missing her native food. So it's the same thing when people are sick and in the hospital and healing, they're also missing their native food. Well, I can tell you that a lot of this is just working with the ingredients of Alaska. And then I spend an awful lot of time working with elders and, and at cultural events, just learning, listening and learning. So um, tell me about like what you learned um, from elders in terms of what they told you about food, like in terms of why it's important and, and like, you know, 
what food meant to them? So a lot of times when I talk to elders, they'll talk about their family, they'll talk about their history, they'll talk about their experiences. And so sometimes those are fond memories and sometimes they're not. Um, but it's a connection. It's connection to culture. It's connection to land. Um, the traditional foods piece is really um, huge because it's healing for our folks. And so when I bring in a bowl of of soup into a patient, and um, it's it's a traditional meal that um, you know smells very much like their grandmother did. It heals them on many different levels, not just on a nutrient level. And so, some of that's just been so amazing to be able to be a part of. Do you mind if I ask you have a tribal affiliation? I don't. Okay. Yeah. So it must be a challenge to not have a tribal affiliation and make sure you're getting those foods right, you know, and the, and the cultural side of it correct. So it's interesting because I can tell you from working at the Alaska Native Medical Center, we serve the all of the Alaska Native tribes. And so there's, there's many different cultural influences. And so I think if I had like one specific kind of specialized training or tradition, then, you know, I don't know that I'd have maybe the openness always to learn all the different traditions. And so it's learning, you know, the different harvesting from whether it's, you know, um, from Southeast or if you're looking, you know, up in the, inside the Arctic Circle and you're looking at these different areas, the, the plants are different, the harvesting is different, the fry bread is different. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at this, um, this spread that you oh, have yeah. going on. Sure. So you have, like, at least three, four that I'm counting, different kinds of smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, you had this, the crunchy salmon skin. I, there were pickled spruce tips. Oh, yes, pickled spruce tips. Those were, those were something that actually came out of, from me. Nobody had taught me those, but those were, I was like, I wonder what would happen if we pickled these. They're fantastic, as mm. you can see. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is that big jar of, um, it's like seaweed. Or beach grass. That's I can't a, it's beach asparagus. beach asparagus. So if you're in a fancy restaurant, the chef is going to tell you there's sea beans, and he's going to charge you forty bucks a plate for those. <laughs> or we can Another, just find Amy Foot and right. be like, "Hey, can we dig into your jar?" Exactly. <laughs> so we we so we use beach asparagus in many different ways. I almost want to be a a, a patient in the hospital. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear that a lot, actually. <laughs> Um, so what's next? I mean, where do where do you take this from here? Like you're learning all of these really interesting mm-hmm. things, and then you're giving them back to the people who traditionally eat these foods. Like, where do you go next? I don't know. I haven't. Um, a lot of the opportunities I've had here recently have been sharing um, our program and how to do it, um, and sharing it uh, even in the lower 48 with other tribal organizations. So for me, having the passion to um, you know show a demonstration of a successful program and then empower other people to do it with their people because the healing is so powerful. And that was Chef Amy Foote talking about some native foods and some of the work being done at the hospital um, here in Anchorage to, to help the patients. And it was it was I, I tried some of that food. She was at a at a reception and it's almost like you don't want to stop eating, but, you know, <laughs> you've got to also share with others. <laughs> uh, fun. Oh, eating the um, the dried fish skin was amazing. <laughs> I was like, okay, i got to stop. i got to get away from this. But eating traditional foods is it's more than just that. It's the act of working with the community to gather it and process and prepare it for not only that moment, but for the over throughout the year. Um, so when you 
process your food now, you want to have it so that you have it for the wintertime. And that's what these practices are all based on is um, celebrating the food, but also having it for later, especially during the winter months when it gets really cold and there's no food around. And that then brings in these traditions of understanding our environment, understanding um, and respecting not only the plants and the animals, but everything around us. And all of that is all embodied as you go out and you gather the food, you process it, store it for the winter, but then you end, end up sharing it as you were talking. When we get together, we all share our food, whether it's salmon, whether it's moose, whether it's deer, um, all of the foods that we have, we share. And that's what I think really then brings us back together as human beings. And that's so, so important. And I remember being in the interior for AFN and going to a feast, and they had huge buckets of moose meat, and then it was like moose everything, and so that's your territory, Angela. <laughs> yeah, so um, I still go home every year to Huslia um, in the fall time and get out on the water and uh, Kaikuk River. <laughs> I just love love being on the Kaikuk River, Huslia River, Dalby Slough. Um, being connected to those places is is so um, healing and it just fills you up, you know. So participating in the, your traditional activities um, just gives me so much when we're living in the city or wherever we might be living with so much technology. It's, it's really great to get out on the land um, and then also just learning um, there's also room for innovation. You know, uh, every year we're trying different things. Like I remember when you learn, or not learn, but when people started using vacuum sealers to store their food. Um, you know, and then also uh, instead of like the hand saw for cutting up the um, bones, people use electric saws now if they have electricity. Um, so there's, it's just, um, you know, we... As native people, uh, we don't just stay in one place. We adapt to our environment. And people think that, you know, native people have to be a certain way like they were 100 years ago. And maybe that's what they expect. But whatever you're doing, whether it's traditional hunting and gathering or doing artwork, traditional artwork, there's so many ways to add contemporary and Anyway, I could go on, on about that. <laughs> Drew, what's your favorite traditional food? Well, f- uh, fish. fish. Fish, fish, fish. Um, one thing that I love, well, my favorite place, I think, in the whole world is the west coast of Alaska. And every time I go out there, I try to go fishing, uh, if it's in the summer. <laughs> and I can, I think the gift of Going fishing in a, a place that you love is that you can be a part of the processing and and the, the fish giving themselves to you and then you honoring the fish and then you can share that with other people and it's like you're sharing a, the place that you love. And so that's why when I go fishing, I, I think about where I'm, I'm going fishing and then and then I think about that as I give it to people and people always ask where did you get your fish and it's you are sharing the place where you got that fish and where it came from and um, it's a part of our identity yeah. 
And talking about healing aspects and the food, it's not only just the food, but it's also the art as well. Um, you see that here at uh, Elders and Youth Conference and also AFN. There's a lot of hardcore discussions going on. There's a lot of emotions a lot of times. And artists are, you know, stepping up and addressing that through their work. And we saw uh, Amber Webb, who had this gigantic cuspuck um, with the faces of women to represent the indigenous missing and murdered women and girls. Um, there's also a, a rapper who was at Elders and Youth, and he used his rap to uh, to talk about um, abuse. And so it's it's also opening up those conversations and using art as a healing process. And you've done that mm. as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a couple years ago, I think. I don't remember how many years now, but the I did a large project that focused on... 10 diseases within the state of Alaska uh, with my friend Elizabeth Ellis and I carved these large masks and she painted them and then we realized that well people are going to want to respond to these and so we allowed people to sign the backs if they'd been affected and um, and then it opened up the conversation about all of these ailments and how we how our bodies are affected by these things that enter us or are around us and um, then we had to find a way to let go of all of that because in in our our cultures we believe that things everything around us carries energy and when we were walking around with those for so long it, they started to collect the energy of pain and trauma and grief and all the things associated with disease um, and so we wanted to let go of that because we didn't want to hold on to it I think a huge part of our health is um, the energy that we carry, and our bodies are affected by that. And if we carry energy that isn't, um, if we don't balance our energy and let go of, let things go through us, whether they're good or bad, uh, that can hurt us. And it's like sticking to us, and it will hurt different parts. And so what we did with that project is we released it uh, through fire. And so yeah, art can be used as a healing tool. Um, and uh, an activator. And physically, mentally, and also to address social ills. Um, there are a lot of different projects that we've seen through the years to, to do that, and also here this week. Um, our producer, Emily Schwing, got to speak with Irene and Gupak, and she's an artist uh, from Shifmaref. And uh, let's hear how she's using art to address as, uh, an issue. Uh, what I have is suicide awareness ribbons made out of seal skin, and they're $15 each. Half of the proceeds will go to the No Youth Softball League in memory of Lance Canyon. So who tell we, me who Lance Canyon <clears throat> is. Um, we lost him last year to suicide, and he was a um, close friend of mine. Did Lance play softball? Uh, he played softball, and he was also actively in the community were helping with kids and I knew he liked working with kids so it's kind of hard but at the same time I know he wouldn't want me too upset or cry too much so um, before I came here I thought about I thought about him and I looked at my soul skin and I thought, I think I want to make something in memory of him and also do a part of for the community that he loved working with. 
you bead them in everything yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I bead them myself, and those take, I made 15 of them, and it took about two days. Do you think you'll sell out today? I'm hoping I will, and I also told them when our Eskimo dance group goes for travels, I'm going to make some more ribbons and also give those proceeds, half of the proceeds, to the softball league. And that was a piece about um, seal skin ribbons to help address suicide. And you could hear in Irene's voice the difficulty um, talking about this issue, but she was using it in a way and hoping to help other people. Um, Angela, your thoughts? Yeah, so um, there was these two ladies who came from Fairbanks, um, Adrian. Um, uh, Blatchford and uh, Missy uh, Nikolai, I believe. Um, they had this, I don't know if you saw it on the first floor, but they had this huge map of Alaska. They painted um, and they put a whole bunch of forget-me-nots on it, and then they were adding ribbons for, it was very similar to the lady we just heard um, in, in memory, so we won't forget the missing and murdered women. Um, and she said, she, uh, they said they gave the opportunity for people to come by and add people um, who were missing um, or, you know, murdered. And it's, um, um, she, I was talking to one of the ladies and she was like, um, Angela, look at all these names. These are the people that came, uh, these families came by and added names. So it was just... Um, kind of heart-wrenching to see that um, but people need to see it and art can do that art can send a very important message visually you can see the impact uh, of this in, on Alaska where it's ignored maybe ignored everywhere else but art has a way of you know bringing that and sparking a conversation so it's just really awesome to see people like Drew doing these things and the other lady and um, you know just we need to have these conversations and it's through all mediums um, you know the music film uh, you know tangible all things you can see and touch and uh, Sven go ahead your thoughts um, well it's 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 all the media from music film poetry uh, to carving um, the work that drew and all the other work that's being done it's it's why we have memorials and if people think that the memorials aren't art it's it is art it's a way of us reflecting back but also remembering so that we don't forget and that powerful message of the art that's being created now to raise the awareness of the issues that we're all facing is powerful and it's another level not just words um not just songs but something that's visual and tangible that we see we can hold and we know and all of that is so important and um, for example what's happening now here in this state with art being used to raise the awareness of whether it's to get out the vote or to be aware of uh, women who've gone missing um, or suicide prevention, or health. It all impacts us, but then when you put it in front of people, 
we have to acknowledge it. I can talk to you, but then you can walk away. You can't walk away from something that's in front of you. And uh, Drew, what kind of response did you receive from people um, when you did that project? Uh, well, in the beginning, we didn't know what we were going to receive. We thought we were just filling up a room with beautiful art. <laughs> but then we realized that it was um, all this emotion was going to be come up in the room because of these difficult conversations and the impacts that we saw. And so um, we wanted to create a, a sense uh, or a place, a way for people to connect. And so we we didn't know it, but we were creating ritual and we were connected, connecting it to the place of Alaska and to the people of Alaska. And it's a, people always say this is an Alaska Native art project. I want to clarify it's an Alaskan issue all these health issues where we created this project to showcase and highlight and talk about issues facing all of Alaskans not just Alaska Native peoples so but creating ritual and a way for people to interact um, it was it was really difficult and I found later uh, I didn't know how to uh, hold on to all of that so figuring out a way when, when artists are doing this it's really important to not only give people a way to let go of things or to process something, but you also need to process uh, and allow yourself to find your own healing in it. And I want to thank all of you for being here, but I also want you to go ahead and give, uh, where, where can people follow you and look up your blog and your art? And go ahead, Drew, where, where can people find you at? Uh, DrewMichael.art is my website and my Instagram, if you're following, uh, DrewMuck, D-R-E-W-M-U-K. Thank you for being here. And Angela? Uh, Athabaskanwoman.com and Athabaskan Woman blog on Facebook. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, mine is fishphoto66 on Instagram. Um, but I just wanted to say one last thing. Art is life, and it connects all of us as humans. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And thanks to Emily Schwing, our producer. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. Thank you. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez, Emily Schwing, and Nola Daves-Moses. Funding support from Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Conoco Phillips, the Siri Foundation, ExxonMobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Donlin Gold, Monalik Association, Chalista Corporation, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.